Hey everyone, welcome to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Today we have a very special episode and a big announcement as Brian is publishing his third book titled 2021, The Year in Leadership. So we're privileged to be able to speak with him about it. We're the first uh, that we get to hear from and he'll talk us through the book, uh, some of his ideas and inspirations for it and the process of writing it. Uh, And then lastly, we'll share how you can pick it up yourself. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jeff, great to be back with you. It's been a couple of weeks, but always good to get back together. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Um, as you and listeners know, uh, I admire your thoughts and the content that you put out both through your writing and your blog. Um, and so I'm very excited to discuss this today. And if you could just share your big announcement for the audience. Yeah, Jeff, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, Next Tuesday, April the 12th, so we're recording this about a week ahead of time, Uh, on Tuesday, April the 12th, that is the official release date of my third book, 2021, The Year in Leadership, Uh, the stories of faith, athletics, business, and life that inspired us all. So it's available on Kindle and and Nook right now if, if you prefer the electronic means of reading. But, uh, but yeah, it's an absolute uh, thrill to, to release my third book and get it out there. Uh, pre-sales have been going great. We're very pleased with those and just excited to, to start getting that in the hands of people. Very good. Well, I'm pumped to be the first to hear about it. Uh, we were talking off, off the air and you were saying how you have a number of podcast interviews lined up on it, but I'm the first. And so I'm honored and proud of that. So just tell us about the book. What's, what's it about? Well, first of all, it should be the first. It's the one that me and you ho- co-host together. So, <laughs> so yeah, definitely should be the first. You know, I, I tell you this, Jeff, it's the book I've always wanted to write. And we can get into that in just a little bit. But I wanted to take at least through my eyes, and I don't see everything, but at least through my eyes, I wanted to go chronologically through the entire year of 2021 and just view it through a leadership lens. So basically things that I would see, things that I would comment on, things that I would be a part of, um, those are processed through a, through a leadership dynamic and written about and chronicled and put in a form that really any leader can use this book as a tool and a resource uh, to help them get better, help their teams get better. Um, it's got so many applications. Um, like I said in the title, it is about sports, athletics, business. It's about Christian leadership. Uh, so wherever you lead, you can take this book and it's got anecdotes and lessons and illustrations and principles that if you're running team meetings or you're just wanting to do better in your self-leadership, uh, every page is filled with leadership content and uh, just be a great book for, for anybody out there. So you mentioned that it was the book you always wanted to write. What did you mean by that? Did you always have kind of an aspiration to go through a chronological time period and and talk through that? Yeah. So ironically, most of my writing, even though I've written two previous books, most of my writings that people know me by is through the website, brian.onleadership.com. So most people know that. Um, Interestingly, when I started that website about 
about now 14 years ago. When I started it, I did not start it to do a website. I started to write a book. I wanted to write a leadership book. I wanted my name on something. You know, I wanted to make my mark in the world. And I couldn't sit down and write 50,000 to 100,000 words at one time. But I could write 500. Mm -hmm. And so I read a book by a church consultant by the name of Tony Morgan, who some of the listeners here may know. And Tony wrote a book called Killing Cockroaches. And if you read that book, that is just a compilation of many of his best blogs. I mean, it's a great read. If I don't like one topic, I, I could skip and go to the next topic, you know, and it was just a great book. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. So Tony, and I've told Tony this, he was the inspiration of my website. And so I really wanted my website, you know, to, to basically a book capture all the best stuff from my website. And during my first two books, and I, I totally get it, I had wonderful experiences with my publishers, and they were great, and I highly recommend them. Um, but when you work with a publisher, and I totally get it, a publisher wants a book to have like, number one, a central narrative, you know, that tells a story, or you're like a lawyer building a case. So you got a topic, and you just build that case around whatever whatever principle or, or thing you want to teach about that topic. Well, my book's not like that. You know, my book is leadership is very uh, diverse. Uh, very Leadership is very complex. It impacts a lot of things. And so like chapter one, I talk about the courageous leadership of then Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields. And the reason it's the first chapter in the book is the college play, uh, football playoffs were at the beginning of the year and, and Fields just took a wicked shot to his ribs. And it looked like, I mean, literally the linebacker from Clemson had broken his ribs. But what happened is he got up and he wound up throwing six touchdown passes in that game. So that's chapter one. Well, you know, you'll get later in the month of January and I'm talking about leadership lessons from WandaVision from the Disney Plus series. You know, and then I'm talking about pastors and what they did during COVID. And I'm talking about handling tragedy and setbacks. So as the year progressed, there were various things I wrote about that if I wrote about something one day may have nothing to do about the day before or day after. But from a reader perspective, every page keeps you interested. Every page makes you want to turn to the next page, and it just walks throughout the entire year. Now, there are some things I didn't hit. I didn't touch on insurrections. I don't do politics, and I don't talk about sex. You know, so I leave those, th those topics to other people. You know, I don't know how much I have to add to any of those topics. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, it is, a, it is a chronological look through the year. It's the book I've always wanted to write. Uh, to be perfectly honest, if it sells good and, you know, makes makes some money because I had to self-publish this one because it's just a book I wanted to do. So I invested in it. I, you know, I, I believed in myself. I believed in the content. I believed in the concept. But if the book works, I'm already chronicling 2022, the year in leadership, and then 2023, the year in leadership. And so really, I want to just build a library of resources that, uh, that leaders can really go back and utilize to make themselves and their teams a lot better. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask um, 
about the sequels because you're going to be in a position to do that. And it sounds like you're already preparing to do that. Um, in terms of the writing process, um, since that's something you're considering, talk us through the writing process um, as it pertains to collecting that content specifically for this. In other words, you did 2021 you're already building a case for 2022 is part of your process. Does it allow you to maybe publish this every single year, hypothetically? Yeah, that is the plan. And, you know, so like right now, when you write a book, you don't write, writing a book is fun. The work is in rewriting the book. And anybody that's ever wrote a book knows that when you go through the editing process, uh, I, I mean, you're looking at, minimum once you've completed the book in your mind you've completed the book you've got five to ten rewrites left in you in terms of editing and that's where the work comes in so i've already started writing and rewriting the 22 uh year in leadership and so just trying to stay on top of it because you know, obviously we're getting 2021, the year in leadership out in April. I'd love to have 2022, the year in leadership out in January or early February of next year, uh, you know, if possible. So I'm having to kind of stay on top of it a little bit now uh, to make that process uh, good. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I did hire an editor as part of the, as part of the publishing process. Uh, here's what I recommend. I recommend every writer get an editor. You know, it just, they find things you don't find. They word things differently. I've never used an editor that did not make my work exponentially better. Mm. And so, yeah, I used an editor on this one as well. And uh, so that was the process I went through for this book. Can you tell us a little bit about more specific, you mentioned earlier, but more specifically compare and contrast how, how it was to self-publish this time versus using a publisher uh, the first two times. Yeah. I, you, you know, like I said, I had a great experience with both publishers and, you know, I'm always thrilled. They took a chance on the first time, uh, Spire resources took a, took a chance on a first time author and, uh, second time, uh, IWB publishing, you know, upfronted a lot of cost and, and took a, took a chance on a second, second time author. So uh, great experiences. This book, I knew from the first two that it was going to be hard to get this type of book published because it's so outside the box from other books. And there was another thing, and I, I'm just going to I'm just going to be you know straightforward on this for all authors. Uh, I wanted to own the content. You know, the thing most people don't think about is the publisher actually owns your content. You don't. You know, you're supplying the content and things of that nature. But at, at the end of the day, that's the publisher's book. You know, uh, if you cut through everything, uh, it's got your name on it and you're registered with the Library of Congress. But but they the publisher owns that book. I want to own this book. Uh, this is straight from my website, straight from my thoughts. I wanted to own the content. So that that was a that was a reason that I wanted to self-publish this one as well. And, and another thing, I was willing to bet on myself. Um, you know, when you, when you write a book, and here's the business side of writing a book, uh, I've told authors this, very few authors make a living as authors. 
you know, they ultimately make it in consulting or, you know, they're business owners or business leaders and they wrote a book or they're in entertainment or athletics and they wrote a book. Very few people. I mean, even John Maxwell, you know, uh, books are just one of his streams of income. Obviously, he runs the John Maxwell Company and does public speaking and a number of other things. So the reality is, uh, you don't. There's a lot of hands in the pile in a book. I mean, you've got the publisher, you've got the printer, you know, you've got shipping and handling. So you've got, you know, you know, FedEx or or the U.S. Postal Service or somebody like that. Amazon's got a big hand in the pie if you sell through Amazon. So the author really makes very little per book, uh, comparatively speaking. It would be surprised you how little the author makes. Uh, obviously, by self-publishing, I took a chance on myself, and I, I'll tell you how I, I kind of did that. Um, but I took a chance on myself so that on the back end, uh, I would get a larger portion of the book sales. Now, the upfront cost Several months back, I, I created a leadership course, and it's actually for sale on my website. And the company I partnered with, uh, we priced it at $37 to get it in as many hands as possible. It's 11 module coaching system. It's from my first book, Two Minute Leader. And so I took the proceeds from my first month of sales for that coaching course, and I reinvested it into the book, the publishing of the book. So that's, that's where I got the capital to do that from. Now, the interesting thing is when you use a publisher, they carry the inventory. So like if somebody calls me up today and says, hey, Brian, we want you to come speak at our event. Oh, yeah, by the way, you can sell books while you're here. And I'll say, okay, uh, great. Thank you. I'd love to be there. How many people are at the event? 200. So bring 200 books. Okay. As self-publisher, then I have to buy that from the company I used in the printer. So, you know, I buy it at an author price, but I have to carry my own inventory, if that makes any kind of sense. But, you know, as long as you, you know, manage that well, and in essence, you're running a small business, you know, as a self-published author, as, as long as you manage that inventory and that cash flow, uh, that's, that's certainly part of it. Uh, but those are, those are some of the hidden costs in self-publishing, but, uh, but yeah, I was willing to take a chance on myself that, you know, I could move the merchandise through my website, you know, through, through, you know, previous books I've written through public speaking and things of that nature. So yeah, just very excited to, to get the book in as many hands as, as possible through those, through those means. That's a fascinating kind of story just on how you went through that process. There's tons of leadership just in that alone, everything from uh, vision casting, managing processes, um, discerning when and how to delegate and the trade-offs associated with it all to keep you on the path, resource planning. Um, so even that, that process that you went through could be a study on leadership. Brian, you know this, um, and, and maybe the audience does, or maybe they don't, but I'm an inspiring author as well. I have two or three topics. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to write, um, one day. Uh, so what advice would you have, uh, for someone like me in terms of getting that started? What's that first step? How do you get the ball rolling and what should we think about beforehand? Yeah, I'm going to give you an overarching thought on writing a book, and then I'm going to talk about how to get started. Okay. Um, uh, overarching thought. 
I don't think anybody should write a book unless they have to write a book, if that makes any kind of sense. If there's something burning inside of you that you want to get out, or there's a problem that you want to solve, or there's something you've got to know, so now you're going to do the research and go figure it out and, and compile that journey. You should only write a book if you have to write a book. So that, that would be the first thing I'd say for any author is, you know, for lack of a, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it's, it, you know, is your life going to be incomplete at a certain level if you don't get this book written? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, so that's number one. So you got to feel it on a visceral level. But once you feel it on a visceral level, the best way to write a book is every day write. Most people think, okay, I'm going to rent a cabin in the woods and I'm going to disappear for a weekend and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to knock out 75,000 words. Okay. That rarely, if ever happens. Chuck Swindoll, the great pastor, um, told a story once that, that I think is really applicable. And he said, he said, do you know how I write a book? I get up an hour early every day and just write. And at the end of the year, I got a book. And a book really is a process of doing good things every day, compounded over time. And then you've got yourself a book, you know, but it's interesting, like my book, Timeless, from the moment I typed in my first words on a Microsoft Word document, a lot of people too will do Google Docs or something like that. But the moment I typed my first word to the time I held the book in my hand was 18 months. Wow. And because that, that was a research book. So I was doing a lot of research, a lot of updates, changing things. And then I turned in my baby, which I thought was the perfect book. And, you know, it's the one book in history that literally needs no corrections. I mean, it is that good, that well-written. Well, it came back and here we go on the five to 10 rewrites, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, that's, that's just part of it. And that's part of the process and authors have to be aware of that. And, uh, but yeah, if you want to write a book, fill it at a visceral level and every day write. And then six, nine 12 months down the road, yeah, you're going to hold a manuscript in your hand that you can start shopping or you can self-publish and you're going to have yourself a book. That's great. That That's an exercise in self-leadership right there. Just like anything else, I, I often say this, any anything worth doing takes a little bit every single day. You don't wake up and decide to run a marathon the next day. You start with that first mile and build up. Getting an education, you don't wake up with a degree. It's four years of class after class, and even reading scripture, you don't wake up and read the Bible cover to cover in a day. You got, right. you got to do a little bit of a time. And this sounds like it's just like that in terms of, especially for the first two, because th this book is a little bit more chronological, but how much time did you do with like outlining a structure and then filling in the details? Or is it, you just got to sit down and, and crunch through the writer's block and just get, get pen to paper. Okay. That's a great question. Um, if I, my first two books, I had to deal with that. Okay. Because it's a chronological look at things 
and I did that through my website, there, there was a lot of copying and pasting to initially just get the content together. And then I had to then go back and spend a lot of time rewriting portions of those articles, uh, pulling out articles that I didn't want in the book, maybe in certain some anecdotes that I did want in the book. Um, you know, so in other words, putting it together, outlining it because it's a chronological book was relatively easy. Putting that book in context, that's where the work was. But in my first two books, yeah, I, I, I really had to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, my first book was basically my philosophy of leadership. Like you have a dream in your heart. And then what's it take to, to celebrate that dream becoming a reality? What's that process? That's the two-minute leader book. By the way, that's the two-minute leader leadership course. As I do a video course walking through those 10, 10 steps. That took a lot of work. You know, that, that took a lot of outlining. My second book, Timeless, The Ten Enduring Practices of Apex Leaders, I had to do a lot of research to define what those 10 qualities were. Because I started out, I started out with over 300 qualities of what an apex leader has, and then had to whittle it down to the 10 most common. A lot of research, a lot of outlining, examples of all of those 10, a lot of detail on that one. This one, though, the heavy lifting was done throughout the year. So this was a classic example of every day I write a website or write a post for my website, I am now looking at it through the lens of will I use this in the book at the end of the year? Mm -hmm. So hopefully it's expediting that process a little bit. Uh, but, but yeah, there's the back end of it, the formatting of it, that's where all the heavy lifting's at. Well, thanks for sharing. That's, that's great insight um, onto, on what the process is like. But let's get back to uh, the book itself, 2021, The Year in Leadership. Did you, did you notice any central themes throughout the year? So if you're writing about kind of the chronological leadership events or circumstances and leaders and how they did along the way, every, everything from sports to everything else, did you notice any themes or recurring themes? Here's the big thing that I discovered as I went back and reviewed the entire year. And what I would say, very visible, large-scale leadership roles, um, th th there is a deficit of leadership in our world. Um, you know, one of the things that this book is great at is the fundamentals of leadership work at all levels of leadership, you know, from the White House to the local storehouse. I mean, it's those work across the board and on large scale things like political, uh, you know, those type of things, incredible deficits of leadership. However, on a smaller level, uh, churches, businesses, schools, the leadership at, uh, at the smaller levels in 2021 was extraordinary. And I was thrilled to be able to tell a lot of those stories. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, why, do, why, are good, why are good people not going into politics? You know, they're starting nonprofits, you know, because they just don't want to get into a bunch of stuff. Well, you, you know, there's a, I, I've noticed that that is reality. There's some incredible leadership 
happening every day in people's lives, uh, happening in organizations throughout the world. And we can learn from what other great leaders are doing and, and utilize those principles in our own life. So the big themes were there's huge deficits at the top, but underneath that, there's some extraordinary leadership going on and, and, and we need to know about those stories. That's fantastic. So who was the most effective leader in 2021 that you studied? You know, that's, a, that's an excellent question. If I had to say of all the leaders I looked at and all the leaders that came into to my purview, and I don't see everything and I don't see everybody, you know, um, the website is called Brian Dodd on leadership, not everybody in the world talking about leadership. You know, So <laughs> it's, it's just my view. Um, I, I think Nick Saban, we as a society have been cheated by having him only as a football coach. Hmm. And I know he's more than that. I know he owns some car dealerships and you know, and he's a family, family man. And, you know, I know there's more to Nick, you know, Coach Saban than just football. But the most extraordinary leadership I see from a day in, day out perspective, um, you know, a lot of people may not like him, you know, because he just wins all the time. I mean, that's the only, you know, but Nick Saban, the way he addresses things, the succinctness with his language, um, the type of young men that he's developing there at Alabama, if some of his young men stray, how he deals with them. You know, when I get into the 2022 book year in leadership, uh, the things he had to say about the Henry Ruggs issue and the car accident he was involved in where a young lady lost her life. Uh, he is saying things and addressing things that I think very few leaders are. I do want to also say a good mutual friend of ours. Uh, I think uh, I think Mike Lynch, the senior pastor at North Star Church in Kennesaw, Georgia, is absolutely one of the most extraordinary leaders I've seen. Um, and there are three different sections in the book. He runs a, a prof if if you're a baseball scout or coach anywhere from the from the high school level to the major league level he owns he runs a bible study uh for for that group it's a zoom bible study i have the privilege of being a part of it and three of the chapters are some of the leadership lessons that have that have flowed from that but that is something that unless you're uh, a friend of mike's or you're part of that bible study that is some of the extraordinarily uh leadership people don't know about so I would say last year, the two most incredible leaders I encountered uh, was Mike Lynch and Nick Saban. Well said. Doesn't get any better than that. I mean, even, you know, they're, they're both kind of revolving around sports and with, with Nick Saban specifically, I think, I think a sports coach is like the quintessential leadership position because the, the result of the team that they're leading is so measurable, right? It's easy to quantify the effectiveness of leadership in that in that instance. However, they're typically not on the field, so their skills or their influence is one hundred percent in their leadership. Um, so that's that's fascinating to me. Yeah. So there's a section in the book called "This Is Not a Democracy," 
And that is a phrase that Coach Saban used uh, during fall practice last year with his football team. And then what he began to do with that phrase is basically to say, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is the Alabama culture. This is how, if you come here and do what we say, you will create value for yourself, you know, but the way we do things is non-negotiable. This is not a democracy. And there's multiple lessons from, from that news conference that Coach Saban gave. Um, that's an example. So if you've got a leader in a church or a business, nonprofit, school, you know, homeowners association, you may not have the authority to look at everyone and say, this is not a democracy. But if you're wanting to create a culture where excellence is the standard and we have a process that leads people to excellence, you want to read and study and memorize that section of the book. Mm -hmm. That's an example of how you can utilize that book and an illustration and an anecdote to say, okay, I'm going to take that one chapter, that specific chapter, apply it to our organization and apply it to my life. And here's the thing too, I like to tell people, if you can come up with one good idea, one that makes you or your organization better, how much is, how much is that one idea worth? Now, the answer may be, well, it depends on the impact of the idea. Okay, I'll give you that. But if that one good idea, even if it's a small idea, but compounded and repeated over time, you know, the value of that's immeasurable. And so I tell people this, if you get this book for either $16.79, if you get a paperback or you do $7.99 and do a Kindle or a Nook, um, you're going to get at least one good idea. Yeah, matter of fact, you're going to get dozens and dozens and dozens of good ideas. But if you break it down to how much is one good idea that makes us better worth, then, then, then get the book. And the Nick Saban, this is not a democracy, which is how to, how to build a culture. That alone is worth more than one good idea. Mm. So good. I'm so excited to get my hands on it. So where can someone uh, get a hold of it? Where can they buy it? Yeah. So uh, the, the easiest places to do it is Amazon. Uh, you know, you can get you can get the paperback or the or the electronic version there. Barnes and Noble, same thing. Or you could go through my website if you're a regular reader of my website. Uh, you know, when those emails come to you or you can just go to it, there's links there that you can click in and purchase the book there. But, but yeah, I'd love for everybody to get a copy. Uh, I think it'll make you a better leader. Matter of fact, I know it will. So that's great. I've already uh, pre-ordered mine a couple of weeks ago, in fact, so I can't wait till it arrives next week. Brian, any parting thoughts? Well, here's, a, here's one parting thought. If you're a good friend of Jeff Wright's, or you want to have Jeff Wright invest in you, which obviously you've heard Jeff in all previous episodes, and I would highly recommend you get Jeff Wright in your orbit. Uh, Jeff is co-host of this podcast, he is going to get a complimentary copy of the book as well, which he has already determined he's going to give away to somebody. So if you've ever wanted to meet Jeff or be mentored by Jeff or have Jeff speak at your organization, uh, he's bringing gifts with him. So you, you want to go ahead and reach out to Jeff. I'll take it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go get the book. And remember, serve others not as a task, but as a purpose.